So, um, what I want to do is I want to first go over the Sphere Sa'omer, just the basics of it. Um, very often people are unfamiliar with the basics of Sphere Sa'omer. And then we'll move on to the Chassidus. Okay? Make sure my phone is off. This would be really impolite if it started ringing in the middle of class. So, the, there is a mitzvah called the Omer. The Omer is an offering that was brought in the temple and it is made of barley. There are different kinds of offerings in the temple. One of the kind of offerings are called the Mincha, literally meaning a gift. The Mincha offerings were made of flour. Yeah. As a general rule, the Mincha offering was made of wheat flour. Um, there were two minchas that were u- made from barley flour. One was the Omer, and the other is the Sota offering. Mincha Sota. Um, now, the rule is that all grain, um, the five species of grain are wheat, oats, f- wheat, oats, barley, rye, and spelt. Any grain that grows is forbidden to be eaten. <coughs> Um, until the Omer offering is offered. Okay. This is what's called in halacha yashon and chadash. Yashon means old, as an old grain, and chadash is new grain. So if the grain has sprouted before the Omer has been offered, you may not eat that grain. It's called chadash. It's forbidden to eat that grain. There's a dispute whether this mitzvah applies outside of the land of Israel or not. So if you um, look at a baked good in the U.S. or other places, you will sometimes see um, in Hebrew letters will say kemach yashon, old flour, meaning that they're particular that the flour was um, from after the Omer. So, but in the land of Israel, all grain that grows um, before the Omer is forbidden to eat, and then the Omer offering is offered, um, and that is the mitzvah called the carbon Omer, minchas Omer, and is made of barley. Okay. And it was a very special procedure. Um, the harvesting of this barley was done, was, is, 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 is itself a mitzvah, and it actually overrides Shabbos. And they would, the, the night before the Omer offering was offered, they would go and harvest it, and everyone would gather in the field, and they would have a whole ceremony. The, the person who was harvesting the grain would hold up a sickle, and uh, he, would, he would say, this sickle, and everyone would say, yes, this sickle, yes, this sickle, yes. You say, this this uh, basket, yes, you say that three times, then this night, and everyone would agree that this is the time to do the mitzvah, and he would cut it and harvest the, the thing, the barley that was then ground into flour that was then made into the um, bread for the mincha offering the next morning. Okay. The time of this offering is the first day of Pesach. Sorry, sorry, the day after Pesach, Pesach. In other words, so there'd be the holiday of Pesach, which in the land of Israel is one day. So Yamtif, after Yamtif's over, they would go and harvest the, the barley for the Omer offering. And then the first day of Cholomod would be um, the, um, what do you call it? it, would be, no, I'm getting confused. See what happens when you don't review? You forget things. It's okay.
day of or day after? No, I'm pretty sure. If I remember correctly, I think. Check it out. My mind is having one of the blank spots. Also very sensitive to smells, but I. Hold on. So it's the one I keep so in my much. bag and I not in my like it. It's kind of like it's subtle. It's, That's it's what a I new like. Flavor. I don't like yeah. subtle. Flavor. I mean, Where's, I don't like strong. Hand lotion. You can all have some. Why is it a new flavor? What's the flavor? It smells like you're walking alone. It smells like shower time. Yeah, it's a little like. It's like argan oil. Yes. How does that smell? I'm okay with this one. That's a big deal coming from me. It started to smell a little bit like pizza. Like oh, that, that idea. Now you're just being creative. <laughs> Okay, yeah. It's the night, it's mighty, pe- it's mighty Pesach. I don't know why. Oh, no, okay. it's all over my rings. Sorry, I apologize. Mighty Pesach? It is, yeah. Mighty, mighty Pesach is when they would. Right. Okay. So, yeah, mighty Pesach is when they would. Um, mighty Pesach is when they would harvest it and then they would offer it. The, so, the, they would harvest. At night, mighty Pesach at night, and then off for the next day, right, yes. I don't know why, like, my mind wandered off, but okay, it happens. Harvest the barley. Harvest the barley, right. Okay. Um, then there's another mitzvah. So, at the, and at that point, once, once the offering was offered, then you could eat the grain that had grown up to that point. Grain that grew after that point, again, you'd have to wait then until the next year. So, if you're... Um, the, then there's an additional mitzvah, which is to count from that day, the day of the Omer offering. Um, and you're supposed to count um, seven weeks, seven full weeks. Yeah. Um, so once they offered the barley offering, they could only eat, it's specifically for the barley that they No, no, eat, all right? grain. All, grain all the grain, grain, you're allowed to eat the grain that had already grown prior to the harvesting of the barley 
Right. So we. Why would you not be able to eat it before? That's what Hashem said. I don't know. Hashem does oh, all sorts of weird things. You can I, only eat the grain that had grown before the offering. Right. So if it grew after, how would you know that? You would harvest it immediately after. Or wait, no. Yeah, you know. harvest and oh. then. So everyone, right, the, right? So then the new grain couldn't be eaten until. The new grain. The could stuff not be. that grew back after the harvest. Stuff that had grown after the Omer offering, yeah. you had needed to wait until the next Omer offering to eat it. And you know that it's grown after the Omer offering because you harvest before the offering. Yeah, I mean, you go and you film, you know, right? You can see, like, when you're a farmer, you know what's growing, when it's growing, right? I mean, the, yeah. I mean we don't really access our food, so we rely on people, like, right. keeping track of that. With the, um, so that... So really what you're counting, when we say that today is the first day of the Omer, the second day of the Omer, it's not really of the Omer. Like, it's not the Omer is there's seven weeks of Omer. The Omer is actually this offering, right? And so we say we count, and there's, there's a count um, to then count seven weeks, okay, 50 days. Now, obviously, seven weeks is not 50 days. So you mean count up to 50 days, not actually 50 days. And then that 50th day is the holiday of Shavuos, meaning weeks. Mitzvah is to count from the first day of Cholomite. The first day, right. Mitzvah is to count from the day of the Omer. To count the day of the Omer. So we actually say in the Surah's Omer, if you look, we say, Hayom Yom Echad L'Omer. It's one day. L'Omer. What does L'Omer mean? From the Omer? Yeah, it means to the Omer. Like one, we we are now, we are now have one day. I I guess you were... um, this is this is day one of the Omer of, since we've 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 offered the Omer. Not, so that's the day of the Omer offering. Then the next day you'd say Hayom Yom Yom. No, you say Hayom Shnei Yomim Laomer. You don't you don't you know, it's not orderly. You say now we have two days since the Omer, three days since the Omer, it's two weeks since the Omer. That's really what you're you're counting the amount of days since the Omer, including the day of the Omer. That's what you're doing. So in America, do you you count it on Chag? So, right. so, so in, in, in outside of the land of Israel, right, the, because the first, second day of Pesach, which is the day after um, the, the official holiday of Pesach, is treated as the second Yomtif. So then you would be, the, the night of the second Seder is also the first night for counting the Omer. And then that next day would be the day of the Omer offering. So it's first day of Cholmite in Israel, second day Yomtif outside. Okay, but what you're actually counting is the days, the amount of days... Since the Omer offering, so there's and the amount of weeks. So there's six days. The Omer means six days since we've had the Omer offering, which is six days including the day of the Omer offering. Okay. Um, so you're not count. So technically speaking, you're not really counting to something. You're counting from something. Okay. Now. So you, have, so you have a few mitzvahs that are kind of linked together, right? You have the, mitzvah, the, the holiday of Pesach. Then there's a mitzvah the day after Pesach, you have the Omer offering. Then there's a mitzvah that the day of the Omer offering, you're supposed to count seven weeks, 50 days. And then on the 50th day, instead of counting, what you do is you have a holiday, and that holiday is called the festival of Shavuos. Okay? Now, obviously, once we start adding in um, 
all sorts of things in, in the Gemara and all sorts of things in Kabbalah and Hasidus and Midrash and all sorts of things. All this comes to life and all this has a lot of different ideas and spirituality and, and lessons and things associated to it. But there are actually a bunch of kind of mitzvahs that are just temporally linked to each other. Okay. Um, now, that means on a very simple level, Sfira Sa'omer, counting the Omer, is while it is it is, the, it is linked to Shavuos in the sense that Shavuos falls directly afterwards. What you're actually counting is you're not counting to Shavuos. You're counting how much you've progressed since the Omer offering. And the Omer offering is supposed to be offered the day after Pesach. Okay. Um, now, nowadays we don't have the Omer offering. There's a debate as to whether the mitzvah of counting the Omer in such a situation is biblical or rabbinic. Because um, we don't have the Omer offering? We do not have the Omer offering. Like, the, because... Uh, no, no. <laughs> go, go, go to the Temple Mount. I mean, maybe don't actually go to the Temple Mount. <laughs> Definitely. I was like, the two are two separate mitzvahs. Get with the program. <laughs> yes, but the, but the mitzvah is to count the Omer offering. We don't have the Omer offering. Oh, from the... Okay, there's no... Okay, right. So, so nowadays we follow the view that it's rabbinic. <laughs> No, 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 no. The, mitzvah, no, no. the mitzvah of counting the Omer does not determine the day of Shavuos. So the day of Shavuos is the 50th day for when you were supposed to be counting the Omer. But if you didn't count the Omer, it's not like, oh, I skipped the day of Omer, I don't have to have Shavuos anymore. It doesn't work like that. Okay. Right. So the mitzvah of counting the Omer nowadays is rabbinic. because That's the way we view it. Um, this leads to a very interesting thing that many people might be unfamiliar with. Um, there is a debate in halacha as to whether mitzvahs require you to have intention. Intention be here, I mean, the awareness that what you are doing is in fact a mitzvah. Do mitzvahs require intention or not? Not, is it laudable? Not, is it praiseworthy? Is it required? The practical ramification being if you fail to have intention and mitzvahs require intention and it's an obligatory mitzvah, you must go do the mitzvah again. Okay? So do mitzvahs require, no, it's a general question. Do mitzvahs require intention? Wrong. Do. Wrong. Depends. Wrong. <laughs> I'm not sure. It is. That's right. It's an unresolved debate. The halacha is. It is what's called a doubt. It, so therefore, therefore, if you fail to have a intent when doing a mitzvah, it is a doubt as to whether you have done the mitzvah. So if it is a Ah, so the rule is like this. A biblical mitzvah, with the rule of biblical things, that in cases of doubt, we're required to be stringent in, in, of biblical things. So if it is a biblical mitzvah, and you do not have intent, we consider it as if you didn't do the mitzvah, and you have to do it again. But if it's a rabbinic mitzvah, with rabbinic things, we're lenient in case of doubt, and therefore, do you have to do it again? No. no. Should you? No. Yes. Because you may not have fulfilled the mitzvah. It's just... We're, we're considering it as if you did the mitzvah in order to not require you to do it again, but it's certainly preferable to do it again because if you do it again, then you certainly did the mitzvah, barring mitzvahs that can't be done a second time. So, for instance, if you pick up, this is not relevant to you because women are not required to do the of an esrog, but I'll use it as an example. If you pick up the rule of an esrog and you just pick it up on the first day of sukkahs without the intention of doing the mitzvah, have you done the mitzvah? Well, it's a doubt, but because the first day of Sukkot is biblical, you should do it again. You have to do it again. yeah, a man has to do it again. 
if it's the second day of Sukkot and onwards, where the mitzvah is only rabbinic, the man should. The man would be preferable if he did, but he's not required to do it again. Ah, we can get to the bracha. We'll get to the bracha. So now, what happens if you say on the first day of the Omer, today is one day of the Omer, without intending to actually do the mitzvah? Seeing as how the mitzvah is rabbinic, you don't do it again. You're not required to do it again. Okay, now, the rule with a blessing, though, is we never make blessings in the case of doubt. So if you say, if you said today is the first day of the Omer, so not first day, first day, today is one day of the Omer. You have to use. And use actual numbers, not orders. Today is one day of the Omer, two days of the Omer, and you weren't intending to do the mitzvah. You should say it again, intending to do the mitzvah, but you're now not allowed to say the bracha because maybe you already did the mitzvah and now it's a doubt as to whether the bracha would be in vain. And brachas, we are always stringent not to make a bracha in a case of a doubt. This leads to the common thing that when people ask you what day of the Omer it is, you say yesterday was, whatever, to avoid the possibility of saying Moreover, we have another halacha, which is that just like someone can make kiddush on your behalf as long as you hear them. Now you need intention, right? But what if we don't need intention? So if somebody says the omer, you ask the person and they tell you, now there's a question whether you can even count the omer yourself with the bracha because you just heard the omer being said. Maybe you don't need intention. Hearing is like speaking, an example of kiddush. And so this creates all these things about be very careful not to say the day of the Omer because um, you want to say do the mitzvah with a bracha. That all stems from the fact that counting the Omer is rabbinic. If it was biblical, it would be irrelevant because you would, we would be stringent and require you to have intention while doing the mitzvah. I have a question. Though. Yeah. But it, when you say kiddush, you can't, like, it, even if someone had you in mind and their intention for the bracha, can't you still make it yourself after? Which bracha? On the Omer? Or Both. Kiddush? There's a rule like this. You cannot make a bracha that's not necessary to make. Okay. Making a bracha that is not required is a grave sin. According to many views, it's a biblical, it's, it's a biblical transgression of the commandment not to take Hashem's name in vain. To make a bracha that's not required. So, so when in doubt... When in doubt, we do not make brachas, right? Okay. We do not make brachas in cases of doubt. Like everything, there's, it's complicated exceptions, but that's the general rule. So, again, there's the mitzvah of counting, there's the mitzvah of the Omer offering, and you're counting the number of days since the Omer offering. And the festival of Shavuos is established once those days are over. So you're not really counting to Shavuos, you're not really counting to the Torah, giving the Torah anything like that, although these ideas are related. What you're really counting is the number of days that have elapsed since the Omer offering, including the day of the Omer offering. And the Omer offering has to be done the day after Pesach. What's so important about this offering? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. So what, what I think should be clear is that a basic understanding of what counting the Omer is about has to be understood in light of the fact you're counting from the Omer offering. I think the thing that often gets missed by people. Um, okay, so now if we, now the one other important thing, there's a, also a question about counting the Omer, 
what are you supposed to be counting? You're supposed to be counting the number of days, the number of weeks. We in practice do days. both. So we say today is one day of the Omer, two days of the Omer. Today is seven days, which is one week of the Omer. Okay. Um, now, what, what I want to do is I want to take some of these basic ideas, which are the mitzvah, just talk about what they mean spiritually, and we will eventually get to this, like, working on each one of your separate meters and everything, and, like, yeah, sarcasm intended there. Okay. So, Pesach is the time where we are released from our bondage in Egypt, yes? So that is the day before the Omer. The day after the counting of Omer is finished is the day when Hashem gives us the Torah. So the entire Omer and counting is the interim period. Okay. Now, the Torah, um, the Torah is opinionated. So I, I think you might have come across this idea. So for instance, in the Torah's point of view, a meal consists of what? Bread. Bread, good. In the Torah's point of view, a, a, um, um, something that is joyous and significant calls for? Wine and meat. Wine slash meat, depending on the specifics. Um, in the Torah's point of view, barley is food for? Animals. Animals. People really shouldn't be eating barley. I guess that says something about chalant, right? And mushroom barley soup and the like. It's considered animal food. Okay? Um, in the base of English, all of the, all of the, the flower offerings, the, the carbon mincha, were all from flour, with the exception of two. What were the two? The Omer and the Sota. Now, why was the Sota offering made from barley? Because if you act like an animal, then, you're, then your offering is supposed to be from animal food. That is not literally a quote, but it is close to a quote. It's a paraphrase. Okay. From this, we can therefore infer that the Omer offering has something to do with being animal. an animal. Otherwise, it wouldn't be made from barley. Good? Okay. So we have a godly soul and we have a animal soul. Who did Hashem take out of Egypt? Which soul? No, the godly soul. To which soul does Hashem give the Torah? The godly soul. soul. To whom is the mitzvah of the Omer and the counting of the Omer directed? The animal soul. So we are going to focus in today's class on the counting of the Omer, not the mitzvah of offering the Omer offering, um, although there's chassidus on that as well. Um, but, the, but in order to do that, what I want to do is to, to, to frame that as the entire idea of leaving Mitzrayim has to do with freeing the godly soul. The entire divinity of the Torah has to do with Hashem connecting to the godly soul. The animal soul does not really get addressed by either of those two events. The counting of the Omer as a continuation of the Omer offering, is about affecting and dealing with the animal soul. So, I'm going to use chametz as a stand-in to illustrate this idea. Pesach, we're not allowed of chametz. Why? Chametz represents a lack of betel. On Shavuos, there is a mitzvah to bring a mincha offering, or it's not really, it's not brought into the Mizbech, but a special offering made of wheat flour, and that wheat flour 
is baked into chametz, which is unusual because almost every offering, every, actually every offering other than this was made from non-chametz, made from matzah. So on Pesach, chametz is forbidden, and on Shavuos, chametz is a mitzvah. So the lack of bittel that chametz represents, whatever that means, is problematic on Pesach, but is actually a positive thing, a required element on Shavuos. Okay, why? Because the animal soul on Pesach has yet to undergo the process of counting the Omer, and the animal soul on Shavuos has already gone through the process of counting the Omer. In other words, that Pesach is about freeing the godly soul from the animal soul. The animal soul is unaffected by that, and therefore anything of the animal soul has to be viewed as entirely negative. Because we see that when the Jewish people left Egypt, they ran away from Egypt. They fled Egypt. And the idea being is that if your enemy is still powerful, you'd want to use your opportunity to escape. On the other hand, by Shavuos, when Hashem gives the godly soul the Torah, He's giving the Jewish people the Torah, people whose animal soul is not their enemy anymore. So what is it that makes the animal soul no longer the enemy of the godly soul? That is the Omer offering and the counting of the Omer. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the following things in order. Number one, why the Omer has to be counted after Pesach. This is very important. Why the Omer has to be counted after Pesach. Because remember, the Omer is counted, really, the Omer offering is after Pesach. Why Pesach has to come first. Number two, what is the significance of counting? Um, and number three, why are we counting both days and weeks? Okay. So in the context of dealing with the animal soul, which is not really what Pesach is about. Pesach is about the freeing of the godless soul. And Shavuos is about the special connection that the godless soul has with Hashem through the Torah. In, in the meantime, there's the idea of dealing with the animal soul, and there's three elements. Why? Why does Pesach have to come first? Two, what is counting the Omer? And three, why are we counting weeks and Days. Okay. Um, and obviously, I'm gonna, all these are going to be approached from the viewpoint of Hasidus, even though they have many explanations. And even in Hasidus, they have many explanations. But we're going to focus on what I think is the most basic level, both conceptually and the most relevant in terms of implementation. Okay. So the first thing is like this. There's an idea that I think is very intuitive to many people, that you cannot deal with something when it has power over you. That makes sense? Yeah. Um, I, I like to use the following story. Many years ago, there was a bacher in the men's program who asked me, he really enjoyed surfing. And he wanted to know, can he surf for Hashem? Like if you're supposed to be able to surf Hashem in all ways, can he surf for Hashem? Because he enjoys surfing. So what do you think the correct answer to that is? Depends. Probably. He cannot surf for Hashem. Because he's too obsessed with it? That's right. In other words, I'm not saying it's not possible for surfing to be done for the sake of Hashem. That, that, anything that the Torah permits can be done for the sake of Hashem in a particular context. 
But what's the motivation of his question? I really like this, so how can I make this, like, forgot, justified? Right, how can I justify what I'm doing so I don't feel like I'm just indulging myself? Right. And if that's where you're coming from, then clearly what's your motivation? Is it for Hashem? We do this all the time, right? Like, you want something, and now you think, like, how can I do what I want in such a way that someone else will benefit? Because it's, you know, if I'm doing what I want in a way that someone else will benefit, then I don't have to feel so guilty about being selfish, right? They're, they're also gaining, right? But that's just a way of helping it keep power over it. <clears throat> can the animal soul be addressed when our lives are being governed by the animal soul? In other words, there, before we even start addressing the animal soul, there has to be a question, am I free from the animal soul at least when it comes to my behavior? The Alter points something out that Moshe told Paro that the Jews were supposed to leave for how long? Happened for how long? Three days. Mm, we just learned this. What? You, we just learned this today. You just learned this. What do the three days represent in Chassidus? What? I don't know. Thought, speech, and action. That, the idea is like this. You have a person. They have an animal soul. Their animal soul is not interested in serving God at all. And the animal soul is very influential and controls and dictates. What would, the, what would, what would fleeing Egypt look like? That despite how much my animal soul is not interested in serving God, I'm just going on a short excursion. Just my actions, just my speech, just my thoughts are going to be what Hashem wants. And in doing that, the person breaks the hold. They free themselves of the hold the animal soul has over them. Does that mean the animal soul is any weaker? Does it mean the animal soul has been refined, has been elevated, has been channeled? No. But that the animal soul is not going to be the one who's going to determine how I live my life. That my life is the life of a Jew connecting to his God, not the life of a person being dictated to by all sorts of natural tendencies. Even though those natural tendencies and desires exist. And that process, that's the idea of the redemption from Egypt, that's the idea Hashem takes us out of its rhyme, all the stuff that we spoke about last week. When a person is at a place where just because I want to do something doesn't mean I will because my life is about connecting to Hashem. It's not about my animalistic desires. When a person is in that place, when they are free of the hold the animal soul has on them, then they are in a place to start addressing the animal soul. But if they feel beholden to the animal soul, they feel controlled by the animal soul, they feel the animal soul constrains their ability to serve Hashem because it doesn't let them do what they're supposed to do, say what they're supposed to say, think what they're supposed to think, then any engagement with the animal soul is just going to further their servitude, further the hold the animal soul has on the person. And so really the whole idea of counting over is a person goes through the Seder with the matzah and the wine and realizing I'm a Jew and I'm connected to Hashem and I have this bittle to Hashem and it's, 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 I'm going to follow Hashem wherever He goes and I'm going to live my life based on Hashem regardless of how I feel. All that stuff that we spoke about, that shift in how we see ourselves, how we identify ourselves, how we look at ourselves has to take place. We have to go from being slaves to being truly free. Then you say, okay, but now I've got this animal who's tagging along. I have to deal with the animal. But it has to be I'm dealing with the animal, not... I am the animal. If I am the animal, then I cannot deal with the animal. 
You're seeing a problem here that many times we try to address a problem with skipping the ETS Mitzrayim part, right? And it doesn't work very well. Is it like space? Like when you take space before having a conversation with someone, let's say? That's, that, 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 that is a similar idea. It's on, on, on a more practical level, it's a similar idea, yeah. Right? There's a very big difference between saying, um, again, it's not the wording. There's a very different person where a person is feeling like, I am angry at somebody. Right, or I mean, or there is anger in me. Like uh, the anger exists, right? And now the question is, how am I going to deal with the anger? But the anger isn't me; it's something that's there, okay? or any other particular thing. Um, we are human beings. Human beings have human tendencies, needs, personalities, habits, characteristics, etc. And, but if we see ourselves as that, then we are, like every other creature, limited and confined and constrained. But when we, the idea of eating matzah and the wine and the seder and the story and the whole thing is that we are, in fact, Jews. A Jew is a piece of Hashem from above. A Jew has only one thing that really means anything to him, which is connection to Hashem. And when we see ourselves as Jews, then we can look at the human being and say, okay, there's this human being. There's this homo sapien that I have to deal with. How do I deal with this homo sapien? Do I just like drag it along? Do I, do, I, do I try and refine it? Do I try and change it? If you want like a very simple analogy, can you educate your child if you're reacting to your child? Child is throwing a temper tantrum and you're like, just can't take it anymore. So you do whatever to make the child quiet, which is a normal thing for parents to experience. But at that point, like you can't, you can't you're not dealing with, you're not really educating the child, not addressing the child. In, they have some kind of hold over you. And so the Torah emphasizes after Pesach, after you've gone through the Seder, after Hashem's revealed Himself, after we have the Bittal and the Matzah and the, we've really incorporated it and brought it out in ourselves, the wine that we spoke about. Once you have all of that, then you can then look at the animal soul, so to speak, from above, from outside and say, okay, now that this animal, now that I can see this animal from the outside, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to deal with it? Make sense? Mm-hmm. Questions on this point? They'll move on to the second point, which is counting the Omer. Do you pretend that it's not there during mm. that, like the Pesach phase? Oh, uh, uh, during the Pesach phase, it, it, it's during the Pesach phase. It, it, it's that it's being there is irrelevant. It just takes a side, like a back burner. Yeah. In other words, um, th- there are certain things where a person encounters the idea of the, the way the, the way that the Yitzhak Mitzrayim takes place is that the awareness of Hashem is so real that it makes everything else irrelevant for the moment. So I'll give you an example. Um, if a person um, were... If, if a person were to have an argument with someone, right? Um, and all of a sudden, they discovered that that person is very ill. And their life's in danger. What would happen to that argument? It just takes It's just not there. Right? But, but it's not that it doesn't exist. Like, like if the person's going to get Baruch Hashem and survive, and they're going to have to go back and deal with whatever that conflict was. It didn't, didn't get resolved. But they're now at a state where that's just not relevant. And that state allows them to change things. So it's like it's perspective. It's Every, yeah. Okay. I mean, ultimately, everything in Hasidus is, is, is a matter of perspective, right? I mean, we're not talking about halacha. We're not talking about the things you have to do. 
So yeah, the person is, has this bittel to Hashem, and then Hashem reveals himself, and they have a little higher bittel, and they appreciate it, and they develop because of that, and they change, and they're reborn, and all that stuff. All that is, is changing the perspective that, that the godly soul has become the, the, the vantage point at which they're looking out over their life. And so now, at, when that transition is happening, the animal soul is irrelevant. But now that once that transition is happening, you look back and like, there's this animal here. What am I gonna do about it? It didn't disappear. In fact, maybe now you see it more for what it really is and it's a lot uglier than you thought. There's, a, there's an irony in the way that sometimes coming out of your Mitzrayim, you feel more, not trapped, but you, things seem worse rather than better. Because when you stepped out of it and you, you can see it for what it is and you see how, how lowly it is. There's a way in which when the animal soul, when we're, when, when we're in the grips of the animal soul, we don't realize how bad it is. It's like the person who's used to pollution. They don't realize how bad it is. Then they go out to the country where there's fresh air. So then they realize and they go back to the city, this is really bad. So there's a way in which that coming out of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and now coming back and looking at the animal soul, like, oh, that's, that's not a pretty sight. <laughs> good? Maybe not so good. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is, 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 is the point at which a person goes from being subjugated to Paro to being a servant of Hashem. It's that transition. So th- it actually happened in, in two stages, midnight and midday. They, they, the, the shift in perspective the Jewish people had was at midnight, and they actually walked out of Egypt midday. Um, but in terms of the actual thing that we celebrate on Pesach, we make a big deal about the shift at night. That's when we have the Seder, right? So, so I, just what you were saying before about the animal soul and, I mean, the, like, you, like your animal part and then just being the godly soul and in Bitzel and Pesach. Okay, so but that doesn't mean that the animal part of you is, is like, fully ever away. It's, it's not affected by it at all. Like, like it's just totally unchanged whatsoever by the entire Pesach. The animal soul is unchanged completely by Pesach. But it's, it's still, it's like still 100% there. It's That's like yeah. under the table. Right. It's under, because you're not dealing with it, right? You're, you're, you're realizing that it's not the end all and be all. So you're beyond it, you're above it, you're free of it, but then you go back and like it's still there. It hasn't so changed. Then what, so then what's this part about kind of like feeding it or addressing it on Shavuot, like... Well, no, Shavuot says after, no. The addressing the animal soul is going to be the Omer and the counting of the Omer. Oh. But the, the, my, the point is you can't do that if it's still in control of you. Wait, we don't, we don't count the Omer before Pesach. We count the Omer after Pesach. We don't count the Omer when the animal soul is still the dominant force governing our lives. Spiritually, I mean, luckily you count the Omer when the calendar says to count the Omer. You don't want everyone to like, take the spiritual stuff the wrong way, okay? I'm not ready. I, I just missed the part where we are, like, not only are you allowed to eat the chametz on Shabbos, you are supposed to, and how that connects to the animal soul. Well, I was just pointing out that things which are problematic on Pesach can actually be very positive on Shavuos. And the reason for that is because on Pesach, the animal soul has not really been altered in any way. And right. Shavuos, and on Shavuos, we have Shavuos is after counting Nomer, and counting Nomer is where we've addressed the animal soul. So I'm not going to get into what Chametz is. I just want to point out is that having your animal soul 
be in a unrefined state means that chametz is problematic for you. But once it's been altered and changed and elevated and refined, then chametz is in fact a positive thing. Okay. But what chametz is and what that is saying that, that, that the, change, the change for the godly soul is not the relevant factor. Okay. The change is, right, what's relevant bad. is the animal soul. The, an, the animal soul is unaffected by Pesach, then chametz is a bad thing. If the animal soul has been affected and changed and elevated and made into a positive force, then on that point, chametz can become a good thing. It's like welcomed, even. It's welcomed. It's a, right? okay. it's, a, it's a mitzvah in the base of the Ready for him to come out of the corner. Okay, so now we need to. So the idea of counting the omer, what does counting mean? So in Hebrew, the word to count means. What's the Hebrew word for counting? Sphira, sipur, which has many connotations. Also related to the word spheros, by the way. Um, and. One of the meanings, and we're going we're gonna to focus just on one, even though in the Chassidus it incorporates all the meanings and makes a beautiful picture, we're just going to focus on one, which is um, the idea of shining, like, a, gem, like, like uh, a gemstone. A gemstone shines, it reflects light. So the idea of, of sphera, of counting, sphera summer, is the idea of illuminating, of bring, making, the, the, making it into a, a bright, shiny object. The idea being is that you want the animal soul, instead of being something which obstructs the light of Hashem, you want the animal soul to be something which reveals the light of Hashem. So Svira Sa'omer means taking the Omer. Omer is that which feeds the animal, right? It's the animalistic side. And instead of the animalistic side being the opponent to the godly side, it becomes itself a conduit, a means to which godliness shines forth. So the idea being here is that we are human beings, that's the animal part, and we have godly souls. What is the natural relationship between being a human being and a godly soul? Is that being a human being obstructs, constricts <coughs> the godliness. And so the best you can hope for in that situation is to be, is to be free of the demands of your human character, right? To free yourself of the bondage of human needs and human tendencies and your own personal nature and, re- and, and, and be in touch with the essential part of us, which is one with Hashem, the godly part. But the idea of counting the Omer is to somehow bring a change to the human character, the human personality, so that the human character and human personality are not in opposition to the godliness, they are in fact its ally. That, the godly, that, the, that, that our humanity radiates a godly positivity, it doesn't just obscure it and conceal it. So we're going to take the human being, we're going to take the animal, and we're going to work with it to change it so that what? Instead of those human tendencies being um, something which is a strain, is a obstacle, frustrates the godly soul, in fact becomes the vehicle, the means, the conduit, the medium through which the godly soul can bring more godliness into the world. And when a person is in that state where their animal soul serves the godly soul, that godly, the animal soul is a medium through which the godly soul can operate, that's a person who's ready to receive the Torah. So the idea of again, counting the Omer, if you do the Hebrew words, it's the idea of like illuminating the animal. Bringing the godly light to the animal so that the animal itself shines forth, right? Like you take the uh, gemstones and you cut them and polish them so that they shine the light in a very beautiful way. The shorash literally means illuminate? It has many meanings. One of them is to illuminate, yeah. 
Okay. Now, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the idea that there are seven emotional attributes. We've heard this before. Okay. Um, the emotion, the primary part of a human being as a person is their emotions. The primary part of the animal soul is the emotions. The intellect is really not true intellect. The intellect is in service of the emotions. Um, meaning that as human beings, we are capable of being analytical, rational, logical in the service of the things that we care about, in the service of our emotions. Um, but we're not truly capable of being truly rational on, on its own. That's something that only the godly soul is capable of. I don't want to elaborate on that right now because it's not really the main point. Um, but even when we're being very objective, if we were to be deep down very honest, the thing that's motivating that objectivity is not a desire for truth per se, but it's being rooted in some other emotional tendency that we have as human beings. That's the view of Hasidus. That the only thing that's capable of being truly objective is the godly soul. Okay. Practically speaking, that level of objectivity is, is far beyond what most of us would consider to be objectivity. In other words, most of us would think that when a doctor diagnoses you, they're being objective or they're attempting to be subjective. And that's, you know, for practical purpose, that's considered objective. From the viewpoint of Hasidus, it's not objective um, because it's, pre, it's, it's rooted in like the natural human tendencies to be, see human beings as very, very important, um, human life as somehow having great significance, things like that, which... You're biased. You're, bi yeah, you're biased to the centrality of your own humanity, stuff like that. Um, to be truly objective is to realize that anything that isn't absolutely eternal and absolutely true um, can't have any intrinsic worth, and the only th that would mean that your only value is God, and that's something only the godly soul is capable of really perceiving. So, but topic for another time. Okay, so now that's why refining and dealing with the animal soul is viewed as only addressing seven things rather than the full ten, because the intellect is considered to be like just an adjunct, not a primary aspect. Okay, now, so let's just take two characteristics. So one is chesed, and one is gevura. So chesed is like loving kindness and gevura is like talk of strict judgment. We'll just go with that. Very simple stuff. So now I'm going to count the Omer. And I look at myself and I realize that I'm a little bit on the, I'm a little bit heavy on the loving kindness side. You know, too, too dominant. Like it's just not, you know, I, 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 I'm very loving, I'm very kind, I'm very generous, I'm very go with the flow with people. And I don't set enough boundaries. I don't, I don't, I'm not disciplined enough. I don't, uh, it's a problem, right? Or conversely, right? I'm too harsh, I'm too rigid, I'm not <coughs> generous enough, like compassionate enough. Right? You're familiar with like, these kinds of self-assessment? So Sphere Omer is, of course, the time to bring those things into proper balance, right? No. Why not? Well, let's think about it. Did Hashem intend that every human being be a perfect symmetry of all emotional and psychological qualities? That every person be perfectly balanced between introversion and extroversion, generosity and rigidity. Um, determine, what, what? I say clearly not. Yes, yeah. so Hashem wants to erase all the individual temperamental differences between us. He wants us all to be clones, yes? No, but you do have to have a certain level of refinement before you receive the Torah. That's fine, but does Hashem want that your balance of chesed and gavura should perfectly mirror, mirror my balance, or my balance has to perfectly mirror your balance? Okay, 
Like Hashem's okay with the fact that different people have different, you know, if you think about these as ingredients, right? If you go to the bakery, everything has flour in it, everything has water in it, right? Um, let's go to the, the, the you know, everything has sugar in it, everything has oil in it, right? Let's talk about that, you know, the, the, the yummy part of the bakery, right? Does it really, like, there's different things have different proportions and different ratios. They're all yummy. They're all tasty. But those are different. It's fine. Like, the same ingredients can be mixed in different ways, different portions, right? No two people are supposed to have the same character, the same temper, and the same personality. It's fine. It's fine that some of us are really, really rigid. It's fine that some of us are really easygoing. It's fine that some of us are like this and some of us are like that. None of us are caricatures of a person. Even the most rigid person has points at which they're generous, they're forbearing, they, they go with the flow in certain elements in certain respects. And even the most, you know, easygoing, generous, open-minded, positive, let's all just, you know, get along, has points at which that they're rigid and they have boundaries, right? It's just, everybody has everything. It's just a matter of degree and to what extent and how they interact with each other. That's it. It's not, it's not like you're missing anything. It, or is, is there something wrong with your personality? No, there's nothing wrong with your personality. Other than the fact that your personality is an obstruction to God. That's it. But the personality is not the problem, right? It's like, it's like well, if I had a little more chesed and a little less gavur, a little more gavur, a little more chesed, it would not solve the problem. It's like when you go to the bakery and you're like, you know what the problem here is? All of these things are full of white flour, sugar, and, you know, um, and, 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 and vegetable oil. That's, that, that's the problem. Like changing the ratios doesn't address that issue. It won't turn into a salad by doing that. Right. right? The issue is not your particular mixture and balance. Ooh, I'm not enough. I don't show enough determination. It's like, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but that's not the issue here. And some people, you know, some people are more of more determination. Some less determination is fine. Like, so it's having a personality that's the issue. Not right. What kind of exactly. And the fact is that your personality obstructs, obstructs the godly soul. So as long as the godly soul is willing to bypass your personality, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Exodus, Pesach, that's fine. But if it wants to work with your personality, through your personality, which is necessary in order to get receive the Torah, investing in your personality isn't going to hurt You need to address the fact that the personality is this opaque thing rather than being a radiant thing. And changing the arrangement of, and so the idea is counting the Omer is taking, eat, taking the, the elements of the human personality, the human animal, and not changing them to give you more chesed or less chesed, more gavur or less gavur. But whether your chesed is a medium for godliness or not. So if you're not such a chesed person, you don't have to become more of a chesed person. But the way in which you are a chesed person, is that a medium to shine godliness forth or is your human tendency towards chesed obstruct godliness? Your rigidity, your gavur, whatever it is, it's not you don't have enough, you have too much, you too little. It's like, it's like if you don't like your personality, I don't know, go to, go, go to the library, get a self-help book and read it and figure out how to adjust your personality. That's not Sphere Somer. Sphere Somer is, given your personality, how do you turn it from being something that is dark and cold and indifferent to godliness to something that is warm and bright and luminescent and reveals godliness. You don't do that by changing to be a different kind of person. So if you were a very rigid, structured person before, 
you'll still be a very rigid, structured person afterwards. In other words, the center. Now, in other words, what's changing is your point of reference. What is everything about? So let's give an example. What are things that you like? Chesed. Chesed chesed is stuff we're drawn to, right? So we all have chesed. There's stuff we're drawn to, we're enthusiastic about, we get excited about, they make us feel alive, make us feel open, we feel engaged. What are some things that, that you feel that way towards? Music. Music. What else? People. People. What else? Food. Food. Okay, that's good enough. There are things that we find to be just repulsive, problematic, toxic, unacceptable. You know, pick your word, right? Give me some examples of those things. Other people. <laughs> Notice how people go into both categories. <laughs> Good. People. No, don't say bad news. Bad news. Certain foods. What? Certain foods. Some of us at certain foods. That's a, that's a very unique thing, right? Some of us like find certain foods absolutely repulsive. Other people are like my father. Like, I don't know, it's edible. What's the problem? Food is food. Just eat it. Insects. Terrorism. Terrorism. I find that No, Okay. Okay. Now, are any of these things these things are all oriented around our human experience, right? If our personality was 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 shining godliness, the things that we would be attracted to would be things that are godly. The things that we'd find repulsive are things that are Not ungodly, right? So now, if you're a person who's, who's very into, you know, they're, they're very, you're very open and very into experience and how everything is so wonderful and everything is this, right? Spheris Omer would just change that you're very open to how everything is a way to connect to Hashem and Hashem shines through in every corner in a person's life. The personality doesn't change, but now the personality is what? Oriented to Hashem. If you're a very Gvura personality, right, like you have, you, you see what, you know, you have a reason why everybody, this person's wrong and that person's wrong and that organization's wrong, you're very principled and this is not okay and you're acceptable, right? Well, that just turns into like, you know, an extreme lack of tolerance for, for people's sinful behavior, including your own, by the way. It's like, it's not acceptable. Like, you can't. Right? An extreme dislike for anybody who disparages Torah and mitzvahs because those are God's will. Now, if you're the very easygoing guy, you don't become the person who, who can't stand all of the heretics in the world because you did serious over. Like your personality doesn't necessarily change from this. And what happens is what the personality is oriented around. Okay? And so, now that change can happen on two levels. It can happen on a fundamental level and it can happen on a practical level. Fundamental things are very big, they're very broad, they're also very hard to deal with. What change could happen on two levels? The change about your animal soul, which way, you know, the, your personality is being oriented around Hashem or not. It can happen in a very broad way, it can happen also in a very detailed way. You can make, so th- think about it like this, it, let's say there's something that you don't like in life. Like a person. What's easier? To go from not liking the person to liking the person? Or 
to, uh, to break down, okay, let's say I did like the person. What would my life look like if I liked the person and then live that way, which is an easier thing to do? You don't like somebody. You really don't like them. You know, you're the kind of person when you see them in the lunchroom, you're like, I'd rather like come back later. <laughs> Certainly not going to sit next to them. And now you're saying, I'm going to work on liking them. Is it easier to just to work on liking them, like genuinely liking them, or to think, okay, if I were to like them, how would that, what would that look like in my life practically? And now live like that, which is easier to do. I would say, I don't I you know that the one's the second, but I would say the first. Why would you say the first? You're allowed just to say whatever you want. Re- you can be wrong. Because if it's not genuine, it's much harder. Like the second one is like, well, I'm going to pretend to act as though I like them. No? You're going to pretend to act as though you like them. You're acting the way you would if you liked them, but that's harder. It doesn't get rid of the problem. Okay. But that's not what I said. I said, how would your life be different? If you like them. And then implement it, yeah. Instead of you walking into the room every single time and seeing them and being like, you really cannot stand this person and having all of those negative emotions, you just walk in the room and you're like, oh, look, it's that person. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. But it's not necessarily pretending to like them. It's, a, it's working around the problem. Okay, so, so this is the thing. is You jump to like, something which I didn't say. It was just the thing I was saying. So if I don't really like somebody, right? And I act as if I like them, but I'm just acting as if I like them, right? So that, that, that's, that's, not really addre- that's not really addressing my dislike at all. That's completely just bypassing it, okay? That would be like he'd see this I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just treat them like I like them, even though I don't, it doesn't matter because I'm a Jew and I kick to Hashem and we're all one and blah, 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 blah. And that's like, you know, if you can do that, great. If you liked somebody, okay? If you like somebody, and somebody made a comment about that person that was disparaging, when that person wasn't around, would you be comfortable? Very simple thing. No, you wouldn't be comfortable, right? Right? You would, you would sense there's something wrong about that, right? Okay? Yes. And depending on the specifics and your personality, you might... Remove yourself from the situation. You might stand up to the person's defense, right? But it would start from recognition, like you would, uh, of, a, uh, of a of a discomfort because this person is being disparaged, and you care about this person. Okay, so let's say a person you don't like, you don't like, and someone starts making not nice comments about them, not in front of them. Just make it simple. If I like this person, would I be comfortable with what's going on? No. So then, let me be uncomfortable with what's going on. Like, like, in other words, try to, not, not right to the behavior, not to the, the, the doing, but the right before the doing. You see what I'm saying? There's a, there's a level of emotional experience that's like a very general thing, holistic thing. I like this person, or I don't like this person. And there's a more specific thing. If somebody that I like is being disparaged in front of me, I feel uncomfortable. So if I realize, wait a minute, there's a person, I don't necessarily like them, but I would like, I, 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 I remember there's something you're working on. I want to like them. Right? People that I like when they're being talked about in such a way makes me feel uncomfortable. I really should be uncomfortable here. And try to like appreciate that you should be uncomfortable until you feel a little bit uncomfortable. uncomfortable. And then whatever action you would take that's appropriate to your personality and situation, you do. Okay. So you see what you're doing? It's more surface level. It's surface level, but it's still experiential. It's still addressing how you feel. But it's addressing how you feel in specific context rather than the holistic thing. Okay. Right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay.
So there's two ways we can address our animal soul. There's a way of addressing our animal soul where we address the basic issue. I enjoy things that have nothing to do with God. I am upset about things that threaten my sense of self-importance. I am very rigid about my schedule. Right? Instead of I love things which have to do with God and I'm very upset about things which conceal God and I'm very rigid about God's will, right? Which is how it's supposed to be. The degree of each of those things is, is, can vary from person to person. It's my personality, but, but that's what the should be oriented around. Now, to go from I love worldly things to I love God, very, very difficult, right? But if I loved God and I knew somebody else was really into God, how would I feel about that? Would I want to spend time with them? Okay, so I should work on wanting to spend time with people that are into God. If I was really into God, um, how would I feel if somebody made not nice comments about God or his Torah? Would you stand up for it? I don't know if I would stand up for that. It might be, be a personality. I would, I, would be, I would feel discomfort, right? Again, how that plays out would be person to person, right? So I should work on being uncomfortable around things that... It's like, there are some very funny jokes where the butt of the joke is Hashem and Torah mitzvahs. I'm telling you, there's some very funny ones. I should work on not finding them funny. But like, you do. But you can work on not finding them funny. You know how you, 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 know, right? When you think about like how distasteful they are, they, they stop being as funny. So you're working on an emotional element, but a specific manifestation of a general thing, rather than the holistic thing, I love Hashem. Sounds like baby steps a little it bit. It is baby steps. Like it's not necessarily superficial if you look at it that way. It's no. smaller. And... It's working from the outside in, from the in rather than the inside out. That's right. Okay. So the way we count the Omer is, so the first week is chesed. Chesed is all about what you like, what you're into, what you're passionate about. Good? Okay. The first day is chesed of chesed. Okay? When you're into something and other people are into it, how do you feel about those people? Positively. Positively. You want to be around them. You feel attracted to them, right? Okay. So now, some, by, for some people, that's really strong, right? Some people, like, like, you're into the same music I'm into. We have to be best friends. And some people are like, oh, you're into me. Like, they don't feel that that's wrong. Like, like, whatever degree that tendency exists in your personality is fine. We don't care. We're not going to change it. But we should work on the fact that it's oriented around. So if I was in love with Hashem... How would I feel about people who make Hashem an important part of their life? I would want to be around them. Okay, so let me try and cultivate an appreciation for such people in some small way, in a way that fits with my personality. Day two is gvura. Okay, gvura is the things you find distasteful, the things you reject, the things you can't handle. Not handle in the sense of like, you, 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 you can't function, just like you're not okay with it. Okay. So the same thing, if you loved Hashem, how would you feel about those that disparage Hashem? You would have a hard time with it. Right, so maybe I should work on not finding certain things that make Hashem and Torah and mitzvahs seem silly and stupid, being so comfortable with those things. I should work on being uncomfortable about those things. Okay, um, if you see a movie you really like, do you feel the desire to tell people how great it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people more, but some people less. Well, if you, thought Hashem, if you really thought Hashem was so amazing, would you feel the need to go around talking about how great he was? 
would you feel the need to share and to 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 kind of boast and to yeah mm-hmm. so the third is tferis tferis is showing the beauty in something showing how amazing wonder it is well if i loved hashem then i would feel very i would go and like tell you this amazing thing i learned this amazing thing about torah mitzvahs right again to the degree that's your personality not you have to change your personality but that's that aspect of your personality should be and now you see what's happening so in each day you would focus on trying to take one little aspect if you were close to god if you were close to God, what would this aspect look like and work on that? And through that, some more holistic change does happen to some degree or another. Right? Can it be lasting it, that way, though? What? Can it be lasting? If you're doing it sincerely, it's lasting. If you're doing it as a little like game, then no. Okay. Right? And the idea here is, is not that that particular, the idea is to inculcate in the animal soul an orientation around God, right? That's what we're changing. We're really trying to change ultimately one thing, which is that our godly, our animal soul is sensitive to the centrality of Hashem in our life. That's it. That's the thing we're trying to change, right? We're not trying to re-sculpt a new personality. Okay? Now, can you, and, I, I'm not going to do all 49, okay? But, 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 what's that, what's that? But the, the, other, the other thing that I'm going to tell you also is that the main thing is not the change that you would make, but where that change is, like having a sensitivity where that change is coming. Like, like if Hashem was really important to me and I felt a kind of an attraction, a love to Hashem, how would that play out in how I feel about the people that are, right? But it, you have to start at that place of if Hashem was really important to me as a human being. And then go from there to the general character, then to the specific. And then implement the specific, and that helps inculcate that fundamental orientation, that fundamental centrality of Hashem being the core of our life as human beings, not just the godly soul. And then when the godly soul comes to receive the Torah, the animal soul is not entirely opposed to it. And the person come more holistically to the shavuos. Okay, um, I'm not gonna do all of them, but. Okay, ask a yeah. quick question. Are these all animal soul characteristics? Like, yes. how do you know that? How do you know that? Like, why is it not godly? They're, they have godly corresponding ones, but I'm getting into the one. I'm, I'm, I'm because the idea of counting numbers about addressing the animal souls. I'm talking about. Well, they sound they're, god. They're not. How do you know? I'm saying that you're not addressing the godly soul. You're not. Okay. You're not. Trust me. You're a human being. The human being is animal soul. The godly soul is godly. Okay. I mean, like, like the godly soul is that 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 ineffable part that makes us feel like we really should be coming closer to Hashem and Torah and mitzvahs. You know, it's that it's that 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 part that people that are too enmeshed in secular culture are uncomfortable as to just saying, well, just something about Torah and mitzvahs and Judaism feels right, and just leaving it at that. Like that. Now you can develop that also. Got but it. that's a different thing. That's the godly soul. The godly soul is godly. It's, it's, it's ethereal. Right? Um, it can be very powerful, but it's not. Yeah. Okay. So let's use this. So, so for instance, uh, let's take, for instance, um, hoid. So hoid is the tendency that human beings have to realize that some things are just bigger than them. <laughs> some things are just bigger than them. Right? Like... Sometimes, um, s- 
somebody asks you for your opinion, and not that you don't have an opinion, you're just like, <laughs> like not like it's beyond you. It's like you're not experienced enough, you're not knowledgeable enough, you're not old enough, you're not smart. Like we have that sense, like something's just things are beyond us, or things are too serious. It's like the the, the weight of the decision is too great. We just have a sense that like we do have that sense. Okay, um, one of the nice things about having a relationship with another human being is sometimes the weighty decisions you can ask the other person to make. Not everybody wants to be the boss because if you're the boss, then all the burden falls on. Okay, all right. So now, we all have that tendency. Some of us have that tendency very strongly. Some of us very weak. We all have that tendency to some degree now. Now, if Hashem was very, very real to you as a human being, what would you feel completely unentitled to have an opinion about? Hashem. Anything to do with Hashem, since he's God, okay? He's God. Like, exactly where does your entitlement to an opinion come from? Where does it make logical sense for you to have an opinion? No. Is it like, like, <laughs> okay. So now, let's imagine that you have a very serious life-threatening issue and a world-class doctor tells you that you need a certain medication. Do you want that medication? Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's a world-class doctor. You just trust him. That's right. So, if you had the sense that God is God, and you're way beyond you, and God said something is good, do you want that thing now? Mm-hmm. Why? Your, your sense of God is beyond you turns God's stamp of approval to a basis to really want something. And so now you strongly desire it, strongly pursue it, right? If that medicine becomes very expensive... You're going to say, well, it's too expensive. I'm not going to get it. The doctor says this. The medicine's going to save my life. This medicine's important, right? What if the doctor, what if the doctor tells you that something is very, very dangerous? Stay away. Yeah? What if it's really tempting? Stay away. Right? Because you have a sense the doctor's like... Yeah. On the other hand, if you think the doctor... you Like, I also read some stuff on WebMD. And the doctor, like... He's not like... What's a few years of medical school anyway? So then the doctor tells me that I really need the medicine, but I read there once was a report about a side effect, and so at that point, just because the doctor thinks I need it, does I really, do I really feel that into it? In other words, the more I see the doctor and me are more or less the same level, the more I feel like I'm entitled to an opinion, the more his opinion carries less. Okay, so now there's a week of height, right? Week number five, right? So if I had a sense of Hashem being real, my hold would be oriented and I would have a sense of real deference to Hashem's view on things, right? And when he says something is good, to my mind, that's all you need to make it good. And if he says something is bad, I don't want to hear about it. It's not for discussion and that's it. Not because of my spiritual sensitivity, not because I'm a holy person, but because... It's Hashem. It's Hashem. When Hashem puts his hechshir on something, it's a serious deal. Now again, how strong is that tendency in your personality is, is beside the point. Is, is that tendency oriented around the reality of Hashem or not? Because we all have it. We all defer to people. We all defer to things greater than ourselves in some way or another. The question is, is Hashem occupying that spot in our life or not? Okay. I'll do one more. Okay. Um, Let's imagine that there is a horrible, horrible tragedy. Or, I don't know, let's say, I don't know, a war. People have to flee. Okay? 
There are three kinds of people. There are the people that you leave behind. There's the people that you remember to take with you. And the people that you take with you but you didn't remember to take with you. So, like, you can't take every, you're fleeing. I don't know, the ship is sinking, there's a war, whatever the case, and you're going to have to flee, right? You have, I don't know, you're fleeing the city. There's, there's, there's five seats in the car. You're driving, so you only have four more seats, right? So there are people that you could remember to take. Who would be someone you would remember to take? Family. No. You remember to take, like, a friend or a A friend. You don't remember, what? You're going to remember yourself. You're not going to remember yourself. It's just... You don't remember yourself. You don't need to remember yourself. <laughs> this, no, this is key. You don't need to remember yourself. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You do need to remember that your neighbor doesn't have a car and she can't get out unless someone drives and that you have an empty seat. So you should take her, right? Okay. But then there are people that like, you know, if you don't have room, you leave her behind. Right? So there's people you remember. There's people like, but your spouse, your children, do you need to remember them? It's just automatic. It's like you. But it's like you, right? Okay. Mm. This is called hiskashus, a sense of being connected. The thing, the, if you need to remember something, it means you're not really that connected to it. You're not that bonded to it. Okay. Now, some of us, right, that, that trait is, is more, right? That's, that's expressed in things like your, like, 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 like a sense of loyalty you have towards somebody. Like you have a sense like they're always there even when they're not there. It's like sometimes a person feels like I couldn't, I'll give you an example. Could you say something not nice about somebody that you care about? Not out of anger, just out of just, no. sure you could. People do it all the time. Yeah. Could you do it in their face? No. But if you had a strong sense of being bonded to them, you kind of feel like they're there with you and you're doing it to their face even though Right? She says, that's, it's different that there's, there's, I really like them, I really care about them, and then there's a sense of being connected. It's not exactly the same thing. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Okay? So, do you feel like Hashem is with you? Hashem is relevant at every moment in everything, or not? That's Yisod. And if you did, if Hashem is relevant in everywhere and everything, okay, so let's, for, 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 for example, um, there's, there's things that I'm not willing to do in front of Hashem. For instance, there's people like, they feel very uncomfortable using foul language in a shul or in front of a rabbi. But if there's no shul and there's no rabbi, they're perfectly fine with it, right? Mm -hmm. But even if there's no shul and there's no rabbi, guess who's still there? So if you, so if you had the sense that Hashem, being bonded, that Hashem is really there, then even though you don't see any problem with the foul language, but it would feel awkward to use the foul language right in front of so it's a different trait. You see what I'm saying? Like, like each of these traits has a specific aspect of something. And the thing is, okay, well, what does that look like when it's oriented around Hashem? And then try to cultivate a little bit of that. It doesn't change the personality. You still have the same personality you had before, but that personality will be a little bit more radiant, a little bit more um, shining the godly light rather than obstructing it. And then the animal soul is not exactly the enemy of the, of the godly soul, and that makes the person in a state that there's fitting for receiving of the Torah. There's obviously more details and more land, but I just want to give like a, a general sense of it. I really would like to encourage people not to use the 49 days of Sirsa Omer to try and cultivate, re-sculpt their personality to some, you know, you're not a stone and you're not supposed to turn into an idol. 
okay? Like, if Hashem wanted picture-perfect personalities, He would have made them. If you have a particular lopsidedness in your personality, as long as you cannot let it control your behavior when it's really out of bounds, it's fine that your personality is a little bit warped towards Chesed, towards Gevurah, towards Yesod, towards Netzach, it's fine, it's not a big deal. That's the way it's supposed to be. The question is, is that instantiating a, 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 a sensitivity to Hashem, or is that not? Right, so Pesach is that we can do what we're supposed to do because we have a godly soul, not the animal soul get in the way. Counting Omer is getting the animal soul to actually be sensitive to godliness. Right? And the idea of counting the week is like it's very general, but counting the day makes it more concrete, more specific. Good? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, also, the thing, it, on a certain level, it doesn't really matter if you know exactly each day what you're supposed to be working on. Like, I would tell you like this. If your choice is between figuring out what each day represents or just working on the basic idea, if Hashem was really the center of things, how would I feel? And breaking it down into what seems to you a plausible interpretation, go with that. Because it's more real, it's more honest. In other words, if you think that, that Netzach of Tferis means X, and then you say, okay, well, if Hashem was really important in my life, then, then that X would look like this. And you try to implement that in your life in a, in, a, in a genuine, with some sincerity, you're far better off than opening a book where somebody did the work for you and said, oh, this means this. And like, because that process is actually is getting, you're, you're engaging yourself that way. And in that sense, the, the, there's something that the, 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 the Rebbe Shab said about Tanya, but I think it applies here as well, is that things which are geared towards genuine service of Hashem, we don't have to be so worried if we got the details exactly right. It's not halacha. It's in the level of a class and teaching is fine, but like, if at the end of the month you think a particular one of these 49 things is X, it really seems reasonable to you that way. And you're working with that, like the fact that in some book it, it interprets it slightly differently is like, doesn't really matter. Because that's not the point. The point is not to like, match yourself up to a book. The point is you as a human being have a personality, that personality is oriented around everything other than Hashem, and you're trying to change that in a, some, to some degree in a sincere way. And if that's what you're doing, you're doing the work. You see what I'm saying? Like, it, it doesn't have to be about like modeling the exact thing. Which might be one of the reasons why Hasidus actually does not go out and list all 49. There's Hasidic discourses, they'll give you sometimes at best, like, you know, a few of them, and then they kind of have to figure them out on your own afterwards. Yeah. Um, so, questions? Yeah. Dwell on the reality of God, so his whole personality is just reoriented around that, which I think is like a little bit... <laughs> It's too esoteric for me to understand. That's that. why, that, that's kind of, that, that's the point. There's not much to grasp hold on. Is that davening? Uh, both are forms of davening. There's an f- idea of davening, of focusing on like a concrete, specific tendency and trait. So it's studying God's glory a lot? Yeah. But, but the idea of turning, you, t- you can just do that until that changes you, or you can do that in a way that it, you, you, you figure out how to implement what that change would look like and work from that level. Okay, you want to do two more. Which ones didn't we do? We didn't do Natsach and Malchus. We just didn't do Tiferes, actually. No, we did. I only did Tiferes within Chesed. But, oh. fine. Does it matter when they're connected to uh, 
you missed the part where I spoke about that. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, okay, so Netzach. Um, there's an expression that's found in, in, I think it's the United States Marines, but I'm not sure. I could be wrong. I think it's the United States Marines, but it, I'm not sure. I think it's one of the U.S. Armed Forces. But um, we do these things because they're hard. And there's an idea that sometimes people, people like, this is hard, so I'm not going to do it. Or I'll do it despite the fact that it's hard. But there's a whole different tendency, which is I'm going to do it because it's hard. In other words, the harder it is, the more, the more valuable, the more you're going to put into it. Okay. Is Hashem demanding? Yeah. Does that motivate you to serve Hashem more or less? But now, before you answer the question, you have to think, is there anything in your life where the challenge of it, the fact that it doesn't come easy, makes it seem like that's something you really should invest in? Does that exist at all? And every human being has some degree of that. Now, some people have a lot of that, right? Those are the people that they become very driven and they want to win in the Olympics and stuff. But then there are people like, whatever degree we have that, yeah? So then, does that, if that's the case, then the difficulty in serving Hashem, instead of being a reason that maybe dampens our, 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 our determination on our investment would actually have, it should have the opposite effect, right? Does that make sense? Are there things that because they're hard, because they're difficult, because someone told you you can't do it, whatever the case may be, because there's some resistance that actually motivates you to push harder, does that exist as part of your personality at all in any way, shape, or form? Mm-hmm. I have a very simple example of that. That would be t- for you? Like, I can't think of anything like that. Okay. Um, let's imagine that you were in a class and someone asked a question. It wasn't your question. And the person answered, okay, this is the kind of thing that people like you aren't really supposed to listen to, or this is the kind of thing that you're not supposed to learn about. Um, you're not really capable of this. I mean, part of it's your ballet chuva, and part of it's that you're women, and therefore we're not going to talk about it. And then they moved on. Would you be now more interested in learning about it, or less interested in learning about it? <laughs> You see, right? Like, oh, oh, I'm not allowed to. Oh, oh, this obstacle. Well, I'm going to show you. Okay. Yeah. That's a great Yes. Okay, right? Okay, right? So the world comes and tells you, like, people like you can't really serve God. After all, you grew up secular and you're a woman and it's the modern world. You can't really serve God with any sincerity. So if that quality of this would be netzach of netzach. Just make it simple. Came out, then you'd be like, excuse me? I can't? Let me show you something. Now again, how dominant that is depends on the, the exact, you know, personality of the person, but we all have that tendency to somewhere or another, right? Yeah. Um, It's amazing, by the way, how people become more religious when, when somebody becomes opposed to them being a little bit re- religious, like a tiny religious, and someone's opposed to them being religious. Like, oh, 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 so you have a problem with me keeping Shabbos? Well, well I keep kosher too. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Okay. Malchus. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna because oh, we're over over time. I'm just gonna use Malchus of Malchus. Okay. Just to make it simpler. Um, are there proper rules of etiquette? Yes. Like, just on a very simple level, you walk down the street, right? And somebody catches your eye, right? This happened to me, right? I'm walking down the street, I'm listening to a shear, someone catches my eye, right? What should I do as a human being? No. Right? And then they stop. No. They, 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 they catch my eye, I like, acknowledge that they caught my eye, right? And then they stop looking at me clearly. They want to ask me something, right? Yeah. So what should I do? I press pause. I press pause. They ask me a question. They ask me where the um, health, where the, uh, where the doctor's office is. Yeah, the problem is a few doctor's offices in the area. So what should I do? Ask them which one. Ask them which one. Now they don't know. They're, they're not at Israeli. They're, 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 look like they were someone from, one of, like a foreign worker from Africa. So they, 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 they just told me the neighbor. They showed me written out in some transliterated English. They spoke a broken English. So I said, I'm not sure which one. The closest one, and I gave basic directions. I said, I'm not exactly sure, but these are the basic directions. The closest one, I'm not sure this one you need because there are a few others in the area. So if it turns out, then you should ask someone else. Okay, it's appropriate. Why is that the appropriate? That's stupid. That's the way it should be done, right? There's like an etiquette for how people should interact with each other, right? Okay, simple. Is that complicated? Does it really matter my mood? Does it really matter how I feel? No, right? Like... If I'm having a bad day, a good day, I like yeah, <laughs> just that's the way to treat a person, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. As a Jew, is there a way you're supposed to live? Mm-hmm. Good mood, bad mood, inspired, not inspired. Does it really matter? So what's that? What's that recognition? There's like there's there's, there's just, there there are expectations of how you're supposed to live, right? This is like, you know, the basic maturity to show up and meet basic expectations, right? If a little child doesn't get what they want and they throw a tantrum, we're okay with that because they are a little child, right? But if you're an adult and you don't get what you want, it's not okay to throw a tantrum. You still have to show up to work the next day. You still have to speak nicely. You don't have to, as little children, we start training them that, that regardless of how you feel, you have to behave in certain ways. There's expectations of how you relate, right? You, you're, not, you're not an island unto yourself. Whose world are you living in? So is there an etiquette expected of you mm-hmm. as an inhabitant of God's world, especially not just of God's world, but of one of his children? Okay. Having that sensitivity and having that realization, that's a different tendency. That's a different aspect. Mm-hmm. By the way, you notice that when you get into the level of feeling, these, are all very, these all feel very different, right? Yeah. Right. If you just look at the behaviors, they might all look the same, Right. Learn Torah, do mitzvahs, hang around people that are... Like, like, in terms of the behaviors, they're not necessarily so different. Because it's not about the behavior, behavior. It's about the experience, the feeling, the personality, the lived experience of a human being being something that is radiating off a sense of godliness or something that's not. Good? Good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one quick question. When we were talking about Tiferet, we were talking about like, being excited about sharing, mm-hmm. like being excited about sharing something you love, but that's specifically like 
So let 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 let. let okay. Well, there's the, the, so so. Let's say, for instance, you find something to be mind blowing. It's just it's, it's you you learn you like I don't know you 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 read an article you read a book and it's just it's not that you enjoyed it it was eye opening. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Maybe if you, it's like not even you necessarily like the conclusion. It's just like. You didn't, you never realized things were that deep, that profound, that, okay. And then someone comes along and belittles the whole thing and says, it's just, you're just saying fancy words. There's nothing to it. How do you feel about that? Annoyed, right? Annoyed. Okay. So, is Hashem so small that he easily fits into human consciousness? So an awareness of Hashem should be mind-blowing, right? Life-changing, revolutionary, right? Mm-hmm. And if someone comes along and says, Oh, you're, you, know, we're, we're, you know, God, that's just like you know, the opiate of the masses. That's like the way your emotional crutch you're dealing with life issues. You're like, like you just find that like, you're, you're sickened by that, right? It's irritating. Yeah, so that would be the Gevura of Tferis. It's not that, it's not that you love Hashem, but like, it's it, 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 something so profound, something so, so deep, something so hard to wrap your mind around, and you're just going to like, just, just, just treat it like it's, it, 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 it's something that you can, you can pass off with a snide remark. That's a, that's a totally different, right? Um, so that would be an example of like Gevura of Tferis. Did we answer why we, we count the weeks and the days? So the weeks is the general, and the days are the particular. The idea is that it's really effective when you take and break these down into specific experiences. Uh, right? Within the general, okay. Right, you don't like have the general. I'm going to now love Hashem and be awed by Hashem. No, 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 no. Like, if I was in love with Hashem, if I was awed by Hashem, if I felt bonded to Hashem, what would I experience about different things? And now try to cultivate that sensitivity in those particular, more concrete things. So did, what would be Tzfer of Tzfer? is just the, the pure wonder and, and just having your mind blown by Hashem. Okay. And just that like, that, that, makes, you, that makes you just... But is it like being mind blown about something and sharing it? Or yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no, no, th- yeah so think... Because when your mind is blown, you want to share it. You can't, it's like, I don't, like, like, like you, you, you literally can't stop talking about it, right? Yeah. It's like that. Um, which is say you know, and the thing is, you can play with these things. It's not the, 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 again. It's not have a, you have an exact definition for each one. Yeah. But just taking if Hashem were touching you on these emotional ways of human being, what would that look like on more concrete emotional experiences in specific kinds of circumstances? And then again, adjust that should play out according to your personality. Not not that you're going to now pretend to have you have someone else's personality. Which I never understood why people like. I mean, I understand why, but it just bothers me. Like, you're not supposed to be somebody else. But then there is. But then you are supposed to sometimes work on being more generous. Work on being that could be when you realize when you realize that you're not generous enough. Then you should work on that. But but that has nothing to. That that has that that that, that has to do with. 
What, what, does it mean you're, what does it mean to work on being more generous? That in a situation where you should be generous, you recognize you should be generous, right? Despite the fact you can act generous, you don't, can't feel the generosity. Okay, so maybe you should work on that. Fine. But like there is a point at which somebody else would feel like I need to be more generous. Like, no, no, it's okay. Like, it, it's, it, it's perfectly, you know, Beisham, the, the convert came to Shama and said, I'm willing to convert you, teach me the whole Torah on one foot. What was Shama's response? No. Shama's response was he chased him away with his measuring stick. Let me ask you a question. If someone came to you and says, I'm not Jewish, I'm willing to convert and, to Judaism, right? But my one condition is you can tell me what Judaism is while I'm standing on one foot. Would you think that person is sincere? No. You think that person measures up to the most basic level of decency as a human being? Do they deserve your time of day? Okay. Now, if you're Hillel, you're so predisposed towards being patient and being generous, you can see the positivity and the potential in everybody, and so you work with that, okay? But if you're Shama, you're like, what do you mean? Torah's not a joke. Time is valuable. The Torah is valuable. We're not going to treat it like it's meaningless garbage. If you want to treat it as meaningless garbage, go somewhere else. Both are legitimate responses, right? Hillel's fine for being Hillel. Shammai's fine to be Shammai. Like, now, if someone comes asking for tzedakah, and they're clearly they need tzedakah, and you just throw them money because you don't have time for them, well, that's wrong. Right? And if you give them the tzedakah nicely and generously, but inside you're resentful, that's also wrong. Right? I'm not saying like, it's okay to have any... But the variety, of, at the end of the day, no matter how much you work yourself, you're still not going to have someone else's personality. You have your personality. And like, you don't want to have to control your behavior. You don't want it to, 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 to prevent you from feeling what's appropriate to feel in a circumstance. At a funeral, you should cry. At a wedding, you should have joy, right? But within that, you know... The idea like that's for a different time. Like, yeah, that's in theory, true. if you're lacking in chesed, it's gonna even if you transform your chesed, you might not have enough to give to Hashem. But right. the idea is, in this case, you take like use the rest of the year to build up those good qualities, then take your personality and apply it to Hashem. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's just like a basic part of. I think a basic part of maturity is realizing how to you know do what you need to do. And, and, and working on yourself. But the idea is just over, is taking it to another level. The point is, is that there's an animal and there's God with it. This is my Well, thank you so much for saying that. So tomorrow, I, 